I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. Welcome to a special emergency edition of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald here with Mike Sealski and David Murphy. It's Wednesday afternoon. On Wednesday morning, we recorded a full hour-long podcast trying to predict what the Eagles would do in the draft, and then we threw it in the trash can because the Eagles uh, pulled off a huge trade early Wednesday afternoon. They acquired from the Cleveland Browns the number two overall pick in this year's draft and a fourth-round pick in next year's draft, and they gave up. Their first-round pick this year, which was number eight overall, a third-round pick this year, which was number 77 overall, a fourth-round pick, which was number 100 overall this year, a first-round pick in 2017, and a second-round pick in 2018. And with that, gentlemen, I turn it over to you. So two firsts, a third, and a future second. Uh, I mean, I w- I've written plenty on this topic. I just, It's still astounding to me that they – not just the trade, just the kind of the sequence of events – that, that have preluded it. We just got done, uh, Mike and I just got done listening to Howie Roseman's press conference here. I mean, the one thing that jumped out at me is he kept, like, how he kept on justifying the trade by saying we're investing in the quarterback position. And that's fine, but we've just seen Super Bowl teams that have not invested in the quarterback position heavily that have won Super Bowls. And, and I, I, I don't know, I just don't understand the rationale. Like, by his logic, you would just draft the quarterback at every pick. I mean, I don't Yeah, I I've been an advocate and I've I've advocated in print of the Eagles drafting more quarterbacks. But that's under the guise of drafting a guy in the 3rd round or the 4th round or the 5th round and developing him into something. Or if you don't have a pressing need or many pressing needs and you're already in a position to compete for a playoff spot, or the Super Bowl, a la the Green Bay Packers, the year they drafted Aaron Rodgers and already had Brett Favre, then you're in a position to to take a player, you know, a quarterback who you might be able to develop for down the road, and then you have him and you could trade him, or you know, who knows, your starter might get hurt, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I, I think the Sixers are breathing a sigh of relief because all of a sudden they're not the only franchise in town hoarding players who all play the same position you know we've now got uh Nerlens Noel Jaleel Okafor and Joel Embiid at the Wells Fargo Center and we've got Sam Bradford Chase Daniel and presumably Carson Wentz though we don't know that with 100% certainty uh at the Novacare complex so um you know I, I I don't get this from this standpoint Sam Bradford is what 27 28 years old you just paid him a whole bunch of money to be the quarterback this year Presumably, if he has a terrific season, if he stays healthy and does all the things that you would hope a starting quarterback would do, you could then extend him if you wanted to. Um, The position is one that allows a a player of a certain skill set, one who can stay in the pocket and avoid injury and has a good arm, to play well into his 30s. And in theory, Bradford could be that guy. Is he necessarily that guy? No, but he could be that guy. So... It's not as if he was 35 and nearing the end of his career. It's not as if he was a total and complete washout, though some people have characterized him that way. I think that's inaccurate. Um, and now you have a situation where you have a locker room that wanted Bradford, that was lobbying for him to come back, 
and now the Eagles are already in the in the midst of drafting Bradford's replacement. Okay, and, so and, right sp- and shelling out a whole lot of resources to get him. So right there, that that's that's there's there's several issues here that that we need to unpack. And, and so let me flag that one that you okay. mentioned at the end. That's the locker room, mm-hmm. and and I'm going to flag it because I'm not going to get to it right now. Okay, but I think that's a very valid uh, a very valid line of inquiry that we need to follow. First of all. Let's let's talk about Carson Wentz because there's 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 an issue as to whether Carson Wentz is good or not, and then there's an issue as to whether this trade is good or not, and there's there's those are two separate issues. Right. Are we you assuming know? he's the guy? Just yeah. So Wentz, let me introduce you to Wentz because I have no life, I have no kids, <laughs> I have really no friends, and uh, and no love life to speak of. So I have watched a unhealthy amount of Carson Wentz tape, as the experts would say. Uh, you know, it, it actually doesn't take a lot of time. It's, there's there's videos of him, every throw he made this past year. Mm-hmm. So I watched. And look, this guy is as potential-filled as any quarterback that has come out, not including Andrew Luck, since Peyton Manning. Like that's, I like him better than Marcus Mariota, for example. Okay. Um, he's got, and this is not me being hyperbolic, you know, I... I have a reputation as a QB snob. Usually I'm, I'm telling you why your quarterback's not good. Carson Wentz has an arm that's as strong, that's, that's in, the, in the class of Aaron Rodgers. Uh, throws a very nice football. Very strong arm, very nice football. Throws a very nice football. He's mobile, which is I don't think has been talked about nearly enough with regards to him. Um, he ran a, a read option type offense at North Dakota State. And he can run. He's not, you know, I've compared him to Cam Newton kind of physically. Um, he has that class of arm strength. He doesn't have that class of speed, nor is he that strong of a runner. But he's a, he, he can still, he's much better running the read option than Alex Smith, put it that way. Mm-hmm. This guy, like, he, he's his mobility is probably actually similar to Andrew Locks, who's actually a very mobile quarterback. Um, and he's accurate. He can throw on the run. He is, he's a really mature passer mechanically. Um, his footwork is a little rough, but it's it's there. Like it's way better than Paxton Lynch's, for example. Mm-hmm. Jared Goff is a very, 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 very polished quarterback. He he is he's as polished a quarterback as I've seen since Luck. Um, you know, Winston was pretty polished, but but Goff is very polished. And um, you know, if you could combine those two things in Wentz, like Wentz would would have been Andrew Luck essentially. Uh, that being said, the one thing about Wentz that you notice when you watch him on film is his offense at North Dakota state. I mean, this is the number one, number two pick in the NFL draft playing against one double a competition. Right. Like he didn't need to go through a lot of progressions. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that the team was very, very good. The offense was very, very good. And he was good enough that he did not have to make a lot of reads. This was a one, like, you know, I mean, this was a one read offense Mm because that's all it had to be. Right. You know? Um, And 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 that's just for context. North Dakota State has won its level of yeah. football's championship, what, four years running? Yeah, they're a powerhouse. They are the powerhouse. And this in, guy, uh, like, you know, I, I'm not, like, this guy has skill. Like, I said after I watched him for the first time in January that once people get their eyes on him at the combine, like, they're, someone, people are going to fall in love with this guy because, like, his skills, it's ridiculous. Like, he, he has absolutely ridiculous tools. Uh, better tools, maybe even than luck, frankly. Um, I mean, that's how, that's how, how, impressive he is physically but you know it's a very 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 different ball game in the nfl when you have to, when you 
might be asked to run an offense where you have to make those reads, right. you have to read those defenses, and the fact that he has not had to do that ever uh, is, I think he has a very low floor. Like I think Jared Goff has Jared Goff has way less bust potential mm-hmm. than than Carson Wentz, but I think Carson Wentz has as high a ceiling as you can get. So anyway, that's that's Carson Wentz in right. in in my opinion. Um, I mean, I I really like the guy, I do, but. That that risk, he he has such a high risk factor that I, it's just if you're wrong about him, this team now could be bad for a decade. Yeah, and and that gets to the flip side of what you, you how you frame the question, which right. is an accurate way to frame it, which is there there's nothing wrong in and of itself with Carson Wentz being potential top ten, even a top five pick. Like in if the he draft. was there at number eight, I would absolutely I would absolutely have advocated Take like him. I would be the guys in the in the in the draft drafter and like jumping up and down and like holding people hostage until you draft the Carson Wentz. Right. But that's different from trading, right. giving up a net of three draft picks and when you have other obvious needs to go get this guy. And that's why, so let's focus on the deal to start. Cause as you said, and then we'll get in, the deal is also where that the in, locker room, thing. the locker room thing. So the deal itself, again, I wrote this in today's paper and I've used it as my, my argument all along for why the Eagles would not do what they just did. Because to me, it's just, it, the more I think about it, the more foolhardy it is. Um, you know, you right now. I was walking around the, the, um, and now we're getting to some of the stuff that we talked about in the previous edition of the podcast, which will be in the digital wastebasket known yeah. as the recycle bin. <laughs> um, I was walking around the cl- the uh, keep calling it the clubhouse or the dressing room because I've been the locker room, the locker room yesterday at the Novaker Complex again Tuesday morning, uh, where the Eagles are in town for minicamp, and just walking around and looking at the players and just kind of like mentally going through the roster, like it really drove home how many absolute voids there are on this roster just for this team to get to a point where it can compete. You know, let's say 2016, right? Just just 2016. You look at wide receiver uh, and we're not going in order of need. All right. So let's go in order of need. Cornerback. Huge, huge need. Which right now, they, the guy we thought they were going to take before they did right, this team. Right. Right. Where I was, I was a big, I, I thought Vernon Hargraves would have been the guy because the, the cornerback position again we go back to the Andy Reid and Zach Berman who we had on earlier today um well, you'll find that on the b-sides when we release our yeah. later. Uh, <laughs> he uh he was saying Zach that, Berman acoustic yeah he was saying that uh that the philosophy that Howie Roseman describes subscribes to is is very similar to what the philosophy was when he was here in the organization during his formative years under Andy Reid which was cornerback when they I mean they drafted so so Jim Johnson inherited Bobby Taylor and Troy Vincent and Brian Dawkins. Right. And then they drafted very shrewdly, it turned out, because they mm-hmm. were they were absolutely lambasted for it um, at the time, but they drafted Lito Shepard and Sheldon Brown. Right. And that bought them really another five, six year window of exactly. defensive excellence. And that's really where those defenses started. Mm-hmm. They were never a great like front four. No. I mean, Hugh Douglas was solid, I guess, but I mean he's good, but but they 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 they're they locked bl- you down blitz- on the yeah. outside, and their blitz scheme worked, right? Because you could man up, yep, man on man, let Dawkins roam a little bit in freelance, and and you know, right now you're going into a season, and not just a season, a a epic, E P O C H, Dave Epoch. Murphy, e- e- epic. I will call it. It, it may <laughs> well be epic for all we know too. A defense- in what kind of way? We're they, not they may be an epic epoch. They may be defenestrating themselves. <laughs> Before they even get to the out, epoch. Out the, out the window of the yeah. media room that you're now working yes. in down the way. Yes. Because here's the thing. 
they already are dealing with a they are, they are already in I call it a death spiral a talent death spiral today in the paper. They're they're in danger of entering one of those. They are, they were already in danger of entering one of those because of their absolute awful 2010 and 2011. And now, yep. frankly, in his defense, maybe this is what Howie Roseman is thinking. Like I had all these picks in 2010 and 2011, and I failed, so I might as well trade them all away and get Carson Wentz. Which, frankly, is probably a logical argument. But I would argue you'd probably need a GM that that can hit on the draft picks. But whatever. Um, 2010, 2011, they didn't get anybody. They got Alex Henry. 2012, they got Fletcher Cox, and then arguably Kendricks and, and those guys. But you're looking at right now where you don't even have the opportunity to make those draft picks, mm-hmm. you know? And so, cornerback, right now your starters are uh, Nolan Carroll and Eric, Eric Rowe. Rowe. And you brought in Leotis McKelvin. So, regardless of who you, what you think about all these guys, Rowe and, or, uh, Carroll and, and McKelvin are not future. They're not going to be here three years from now. Now, you have a lot of guys they brought in last year, Denzel Rice, Corey Shepard, but again, guys who are not proven at all. Right. So that 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 position, you know, is one that you would have needed to, to address in one of these two first or second rounds in order to give you, to give it a fighting shot three or four years from now. Then you have wide receiver. Wide receiver. Jordan Matthews is the only proven, as proven as he is, NFL wide receiver on this entire roster. I mean, you can make an argument for Ruben Randall, which we, we argued about earlier, but mm-hmm. whatever. So even if you throw Ruben Randall in there. After that, you have Josh Huff and Nelson Aguilar. Neither one proven. Right. And then you have running back. which and you again, don't have like, an every down. you don't have an every down back. You don't have you a have single ro- every down back on the roster. Yeah. Then you have defensive end, where you have Connor Barwin, who's not going to be here in three years, probably, right? I mean, he's... I wouldn't bet on it. Uh, and then Brandon Graham. And neither one of them, even if they... They even if they young. are, they're even not, if they were younger, they they're not an elite edge pass rusher, which you need. So you've got arguably, and that's not even to talk about the linebackers or the is, offensive line or the offensive line, where Jason Peters is your left tackle. So you, you, with the offensive line and cornerback, let's just say offensive line and cornerback, you've got two premium positions that have no youth whatsoever, so you, like no, 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 no youthful depth, bettable, yeah, youthful depth. So that, I'm, I'm no sitting, developmental. Yeah, I'm sitting here thinking. You've gone through the offensive line, the running backs, the wide receivers, the defensive line, the linebackers, and the cornerbacks. You've knocked every single position off the field right, except but, the kicker and the punter, which means this team's in some trouble. Well, I guess – yeah, I mean, the cornerback and the offensive line especially, you know, it, it's it's hard, it's hard to – so you, I listed at least three or four premium and, positions, and, and now you only have two – the only picks you have to address those positions in the first three rounds of the draft over the next two years are a third-rounder this year – and a second rounder next year, right? Right. And you don't know what kind of head coach You've Doug got, Peterson yeah, is right. going to be. He may very well be a good head coach. But if but it, it, this is a different scenario if you're talking about, let's say, the New England Patriots, where you can go into a season. Like, I, I could foresee Howie Roseman taking everything you just said and countering that by saying, well, if we have the right quarterback— if we have a franchise quarterback, we'll be able to overcome other shortcomings in the roster. That's what you hear all the time. Like Aaron Rod, because the Packers have Aaron Rodgers, for instance, they can go ten and six when they're weak at any number of positions because they have the quarterback. Yeah, well, there. I got a, I got a counter to that. Well, my one of the counters is that if you're the Patriots, for instance, you have a head coach who is really, really, really smart and really, really proven in showing how he can take chicken, you know what, and make chicken salad out of it. And you have a quarterback to go with that. Right now. Chicken breasts? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You don't know what you have as a head coach 
and you don't know what you have as a quarterback of the future well, in Carson that, that, Wentz. I mean, I, I, to listen to Howie Roseman talk, they've got they've got one of the great quarterback gurus of our it's of our generation. Yeah, yeah and, and I I you know the, wait, wait, wait. speaking of words to delete from the show. I don't know how good a quarterback is if the line in front of him is going to stop him is cannot stop him from being knocked on his backside every five minutes. Right, but the coach, so the coach thing, like Doug Peterson, has only been coaching in the NFL since two thousand and eight, and in two thousand eight he joined the Philadelphia Eagles, who had Michael Vick and Kevin Cobb, I believe, were mm-hmm. under his tutelage. Yes. Well, I mean, the young guy there didn't turn out so well, and then you know Frank Reich has been with. San Diego, right? But but he didn't. He wasn't there at the beginning with Philip Rivers. No. You know, he, Philip Rivers taught him more about the quarterback <laughs> position than, than Frank Reich can ever teach anybody. I mean, like, and then he worked with Alex Smith in in Kansas City, I guess. But but like, what? I just don't under I, I don't the whole line of, of of argument from from Howie Roseman was a we're we're investing in the quarterback position because it's a ga- it's a game's most important con- uh, position, and we have a bunch we have we have a wealth of quarterback coaching. Uh, knowledge on our coaching staff and and it's just a no-brainer and that and again I just I don't even I don't understand where Doug Peters all of a sudden became this proven quarterback slash head coaching guru. right and and the additional part of that which you know was puzzling to me and listening to how we speak was that one of the factors he said that the Eagles took into consideration in making this trade was that they surveyed the landscape of quarterbacks who were going to come out in 2017, 2018. And presumably Peterson is part of that scouting and part of that evaluation and decided that now is the time to strike. Okay. Now you can make that argument from a logical standpoint because you know that they're starting from the number eight position in the draft and you don't know where they're going to be in 2017 and 2018. Are they going to be in this position again to get themselves uh, a franchise quarterback, that I understand. That part I understand. What I don't understand is the idea that you could project that far ahead, that you'd be willing to sacrifice draft picks in the future because, well, we're not going to get a. The chances are we're not going to get a quarterback as good as the one we can get now. You know that in a weird way, that is the inver for all the heat that Sam Hinkie took with the Sixers. That is the exact inverse of what Sam Hinkie did. And it just did. doesn't work that way in football. It A it doesn't work that way in football. You never a year ago, who thought Carson Wentz was a potentially top 2 pick? Who thought Jared Goff would be potentially two years a top ago, 2 who pick? Knew, who knew Leonard Fournette even existed 2 years ago? Right. I mean, we're not talking about quarterbacks, but we're talking about like this is there's a reason why the NFL is more than happy to allow the NCAA to mandate that they stay in or uh, there's a reason why the NFL That's mandates the work for them. Yeah. That that athletes stay in school for 3 years because these guys just aren't yeah, you don't right. even know what you have right. until, you know exactly. what I mean? Like, who knew Jameis Winston was Jameis Winston? You know, like, that was Cam Newton became Cam Newton in one year. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And that's what I mean by the anti-Hinky position is that, not to get off on the tangent of defending Hinky No, again, let's do tangents. But I like tangents. <laughs> the, the whole of tangents, someone, I wrote this on Twitter. I don't want to interrupt you, yeah. but this is really bothering me. This is what bothers me. This is what I Proceed, bothers me most about this Eagles <laughs> offseason. Howie Roseman needs to, like, visit a comic like <laughs> on his next spirit quest oh, on his next spirit quest he needs to go a year-long quest s- for jokes search out the the masters of comedy and, how about and tap into their brains because he's awful how about comics and cars with howie Rose? yes i all right so anyway all right. so anyway my point is that this the intelligence behind what hinky did even if not everybody got it was that he Dummies. was he was collecting future picks because you don't know who's going to become available when you don't know what a draft is going to yield. So the more chances you have at it, 
the better off you are. The Eagles just did the opposite. They're putting all their eggs in this one basket, thinking that there's not going to be anything better down the road, and there's no evidence to suggest that they're going to be right in that regard. All right, I'm going to make... So, so here's... Let's do this. Let's do a counterfactual. I'm going to make. I'm going to try to make my best argument for what the Eagles just did because I I am adamantly. I just don't understand. You know, especially in combination with. Again, there's no. There's absolutely. It just blows my mind that it they probably would, blows all three of our minds in here. Like, all right, it probably so, so blows so the minds of the start. people who let's, want it. All right, so, wanted it. But they let's did start. It. Let's start with with my hangouts. Number one, if you if you are if you think that you have a possibility of doing this. I just don't think that you do what you did with Sam Bradford, you mm-hmm. know? And, and again, that a lot of it comes later on with what we're going to talk about in the locker room and, and the fact that like, you kind of sold this guy a little bit of a bill of goods when you signed him, you yeah. know? I mean, don't get me wrong. He's, he's making a lot of money, but like he told his agent, I want to play in Philly. Like he was, he said throughout the thing, I want to play in Philly. His teammates all wanted him, you know? And, and now he's like, got to answer these questions every yep. week, which I don't know if he knows what kind of S storm he's in, in store for, <laughs> but, but a chicken salad storm he's in, for, in, in store for, but <laughs> Like, this is going to be a week-to-week thing here, and it's, yeah. I'm already exhausted thinking about my upcoming... Oh, God, the first time they lose a game and he <laughs> and he throws a few incompletions... Lose a th- game? Or the thro- first time someone tweets out Carson Wentz's uh, training camp stats, yeah. you know? Carson Wentz went 5-for-5 five and 7-on-7s five we today. We had Tim... Half the, half this fan base wanted Tim Tebow as the, as their starting quarterback after, like, two... two uh, <laughs> Two yeah. preseason they wanted Mark Sanchez year. and they wanted I this mean, guy and the next guy and so yeah. on. Like, all right, so whatever. Like, I don't understand. Now, maybe, I guess the argument would be, uh, you know, we never lied to Sam Bradford, and that's fine, whatever. And maybe they're thinking, like, look, if Sam Bradford, Sam Bradford is absolutely going to start this year, is is what it sounds like. Yes. And, and they would be wise to, when somebody asked Howie, what if. See, these are the questions that are already starting. Right. Somebody said, "Well, what if, what if Carson, what if this guy that you're going to draft, who we all pretty much assume is Carson Wentz, um, otherwise the Eagles would have made the deal. What if this guy outplays Sam Bradford in, in training camp?" And then how he says, instead of saying, "We want this guy to sit for," like we, when Doug Peterson came in to coach or to play under Donovan McNabb, it was said from the very beginning, like he Donovan McNabb will not be our everyday starting quarterback right. this year, regardless of what he does. Right. You know. And that helped take a lot of like, like it took Donovan, removed Donovan McNabb as somewhat of a story right. throughout the season. He was not the specter hanging over Doug Peterson's head. Whereas today somebody asked Howie Roseman, what if, what if Carson Wentz outplays him? And Howie Roseman, instead of saying, Sam Bradford's our starting quarterback, we absolutely want this guy to sit a year, which I think is a valid strategy. I think it worked out for Philip Rivers. It worked out for a lot of guys. But it worked out for Eli Manning behind Kurt Warner. It right? worked out for Aaron Rodgers for four years. Exactly. Um, Instead of saying that, he said, well, we, we like competition at every position, you know, so whatever I would like. And it's just like, dude, that's not like Mike is shaking his head and I am, too. Yeah, because that's the kind of those are the kind of statements that teams teams forget and are, are, are not mindful of what creates controversy exactly. for yes. themselves. And statements like that do it. For instance, <laughs> exactly. for instance. Again, in the Wayback Machine, I covered the New York Jets in 2012 when they had Mark Sanchez and Tim Tebow as the backup, okay? And the Jets pulled the same kind of stuff where they wouldn't say whether Mark Sanchez, you know, Mark Sanchez is our starting quarterback, but there would always be this but. We're going to get Tim on the field. He's going to be in the Wildcat. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. Meanwhile, they're saying that, and anybody who watched practice could see that Tim Tebow couldn't run even an elementary a rudimentary offense 
Um, and then after a while, they didn't even use them in the ways they said they were going to use them. But the question stayed there all year. And the not, line and the running back sitting there thinking, what is this guy saying? Yeah, not not because not because Mark Sanchez completely you know stunk up the joint, which part much of the time he did. He did yes. But because they never settled it, they never said, "Look, Mark Sanchez is the guy. He's better than Tim Tebow. He is our quarterback. We'll get Tim in there when we can." They wanted the attention. They wanted because it's the they're the Jets. Because they're the Jets and they're in New York. But the point is, the issue never went away because they never allowed it to go away. They never cut it off before it started. And Howie is on that track as of. Wednesday afternoon. I was going to ask you, was it by the saying first, yeah. Sam Bradford is is going to be our starting by not saying Sam Bradford is going to be our starting quarterback in 2016, beginning to end, health permitting. Period. I, I was going to ask you. I, I did not get a chance to watch the press conference because I was managing the website and social media and so forth as all this stuff was you know hitting the fan at once. Was it the first question that he was asked or the second question he was asked? <laughs> uh, yeah. It, I mean, it's a question that was just hanging there. Like, I mean, he said, well, he, the thing is, he, he came out and he said right away, Sam Bradford's our starting quarterback. Well, whatever. Let, let, let's even, let's even, so here, here's the, here, here would be my answer, the logical answer to the Sam Bradford question is, Sam Bradford is incentivized to play well this year, to block all that stuff out and play well this year, because, you know, he's playing for a longer term contract. And, and frankly, we're incentivized to putting him in as good a position as possible to have a good year because we could then theoretically trade him next. Like if he has a good year, then maybe, you know, we can recoup a second round pick. Do you know you're, what I'm saying? Like that's the argument. In Roseman's mind right that's now. my yes. argument. That's yeah. my, that's my logical argument for why it may, why, why that you can, ju- they could justify signing Sam Bradford, bef- even if they thought all along that they were going to, what I don't understand is why would you sign Sam Bradford and chase Daniels? Right. Three? Like that's yeah. what doesn't yeah. make sense because this team like even if it was more often, there's just money. Where, there's places where that money, money can could be, be invested. Even if you just rolled it over to the next year, you know, if you rolled that whatever 15 million guaranteed you gave to, to Chase Daniel, like I just it doesn't make sense to me. Unless Chase Daniel is the Obi Wan Kenobi of <laughs> well, of teaching Doug Peterson's system to these guys, that he's going to sit down and lay right. hands on Sam Peterson and Carson Wentz and and you know show them the way to run this offense perfectly, you're paying him, what, yeah. $21 million over three years. And, and that's not that's not. And that's nothing against Chase Daniel. Right. I take that deal, right. too. That's not a salary you pay a guy who's trade bait. Right. No, but what I'm saying is Sam Bradford, theoretically, Sam Bradford has a big year this year. Uh, you know, you could trade him. I, I mean, I think you could trade him for, I mean, they tra- the Eagles traded a second-round pick for him even after. Yeah. You know, right. the one thing these two deals show us is that, obviously, even, even <clears throat> excuse me, even can't miss quarterbacks, the value placed on them is 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 too absurdly high. Yeah, right. yeah. Not too high. I'm not going to make a value judgment on it, but it's just absurdly high. What I don't, you know, it's just. Hey, we're all we're all you're shaking your head. We're all we're all having the I same. I just can't reaction. make I can't make sense out of how they they anticipate surrounding this guy. Let's just talk about the offensive line. Right. Right. You know, you have two picks now in the top. You have after they draft this quarterback. Let's say assume it's Carson Wentz at number two overall. Over the next. Two calendar the, the next two calendar years they will have two more selections inside. They will have two of the top two hundred players. Where, where are you the, getting the offensive linemen who can keep the guy on his feet? Right. Yeah. So I don't know yeah. how good a quarterback he's going to be if he keeps. As I said earlier, if he keeps getting knocked on his backside because the offensive line isn't any good, no matter how good a quarterback is going right, to be. Let's just and again. It's who's he going to throw to? Who's going to who's he who's going to get him back on the field after they turn? You know, 
yeah, on right. defense, yes. yeah, you got it. But right. let's just focus on the offensive line because yeah. you're arguably going to – so you have Brandon Brooks now and Lane Johnson. Those are your two fixtures. Jason Peter clearly done, at even if we give him the benefit of the doubt, after this year. Right. And then, frankly, Kelsey's getting up there as well. You know, I mean, yeah. he's and he's never been a guy who's like your rock in the middle. This is going to be his fifth year. So you're, you're you're talking about, you know, at least you 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 need to find at least two young offensive linemen over the next two or three draft classes. Correct. I would agree. He's not. They don't have any on the roster. Right. Uh, and you only that's just the offensive line, and you've got to do that. You've got a second. You've got a third round pick this year, and a second round pick next year. Right. Yes. That's yeah. it. That so you you need to just to have the offensive line in order for the 2018 season when this guy that they're going to draft theoretically might, you know, be ready to step in and take the reins. You're only going to have had two picks to replace those two people on the offensive line that you're going to need to replace. And that's not even to, to talk about all the other positions. I mean, it's just a volume thing. I mean, I I get that there's a quarterback if Carson Wentz turns into Andrew Luck, then all of this is moot. I get that. But he's got to turn into Andrew Luck or Aaron Rodgers, you know, and that's that's even more than a franchise quarterback. That's like a Hall of Famer, you know? Right. Like Phillip Rivers, Phillip Rivers is a franchise quarterback. And they've done an absolutely poor, you know, pee poor job of, I don't even know what we can say on the Redacting airwaves. so many words any, off this any, show. Anymore, but... <laughs> They've done a pee poor job at surrounding him with talent throughout his career. In you San can make Diego. an argument the Colts have done a terrible job, right? Of surrounding Andrew Luck. Luck and Rodgers are so transcendent that they literally will take any anything that you put in front of them. Like they will take an zero sixteen team and take them to the playoffs. Is that playoffs. what is Luck that did. what Howie Roseman's but, hoping for? No, the, Carson Wentz is not this that guy. Like he, he can't be that guy. He, he like, is that what Howie Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers and and Andrew Luck were absurdly polished for college players when, when or. I, you know, maybe maybe Rodgers got that way after three or four years in a Brett Favre, but but let, let's take Luck. Luck was absurdly polished. Carson Wentz just is not that guy. He needs help. Like he's not. You're not going to be able to throw him into the fire and be like, all right, win this one on our own, guys. Like he's just not that kind of player. You know, like he's he spent the last three years playing at one double A. You know, you don't you, you rule out the opportunity, the, the possibility, I should say, that if he sits and watches or takes lumps for a year. Let's say that he couldn't be that guy. See, I don't think, and this is what I actually had a conversation about this the other day uh, with somebody in the media room down at the Novacare Complex. I don't, I don't necessarily. I'm with you. I would draft quarter, keep drafting quarterbacks, keep running them out there. But uh, you know, other than Andy Dalton, really, and, and Russell Wilson, like name me a quarterback <laughs> who has ever been a developmental guy who has followed the progression of sit for sit for two or three years and then. Develop and to, a little more, and to this, and he actually did develop, and now he's a full-time starting quarterback. I don't know if you can name one in the NFL. Like Kirk Cousins, maybe could be that guy down the road, but like Colin Kaepernick was a one-year wonder. It's looking like, I mean, which which you know, Andy Dalton started from day one. Russell Wilson started from day one. Um, just this whole notion of being a developmental guy. I don't. I'm not sure that I buy it for for two or three years. Because what's that for two or three years? What about the only one who. <laughs> We don't have a cough button in the studio, folks. Sorry. Sorry. We're, not, we're not, you know, an actual radio station Just here. deal with it. Uh, Rodgers is the only one I can come close to thinking of because he was behind Favre. But right. And, but, yeah, okay. So, so Rodgers is one. You know, Brady, you could make an argument, you know. But, again, there's, there's question as to whether, like, Seattle would have told you that Russell Wilson was the developmental guy when they picked him out of Wisconsin. Right. And, and Cincinnati would have told you that Andy Dalton was a developmental guy when they took him out of TCU. 
both guys were good enough to take their teams to the playoffs right away, mm-hmm. just about. Um, so I don't know necessarily that they ever were developmental quarterbacks. Yeah. Like maybe Tom Brady would have been fine if he started his first day. Now, where, all right, where would you put? But my, my whole point is, I and this is where I get the Wentz, I don't think you can develop at the NFL level if you're not facing a live live blitz, especially now, because you're not facing a live pass rush. And that's, to me... The big question is that's the big art that, that is the big kind of kind of fly in the ointment of the development developmental quarterback uh, uh, argument. And it's that what can you do to develop if you are not facing a live pass rush ever? Because hmm. you're not facing a live pass rush in practice. And, and that that's that was always the big thing with Sam Bradford. I mean, people were in awe of how he looked during training camp last year, even in preseason. And, and you know, once you throw a live pass rush into it, it changes the variable. And to me, that's that's my biggest question mark about Wentz right now is how will he do making those like thinking three things through against an NFL pass rush while keeping his eyes down the field you know that takes there's just that's why the quarterback position is so tough because a guy like Luck and Rodgers who make it look so easy and keep their eyes downfield so long and stay in the pocket for so long and then can like kind of do three things process three things at once it's very very hard and then still have the accuracy and arm strength and yada 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 um that's my question about Wentz now before he even comes out. And I just don't know how you develop that in practice um, other than developing the smarts to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And, and there'll be people who tell you that if you put a guy in there too soon, um, you know, it's the Christian Hackenberg at the NFL level sort mm-hmm. of thing that any hope you might have of him developing at all gets beaten out of him behind a bad offensive line with no weapons, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I will say this, I think sitting for a year, is can be very valuable just mm-hmm. because you know just to learn you know the more you learn and the more knowledge you internalize the less you're thinking out there and I think that's where a lot of quarterbacks get themselves into trouble where they just it's never second nature to them like right. that's what I, I keep talking about luck but I just think he's so, he was so it's such a unique case coming out like that was what you could see is like he everything was second everything is second nature to him which is why he can like make those decisions that he needs to make and those throws that he needs to make because all his undivided attention, it's like playing seven on seven. Like yeah. he's not thinking about the blitz in front of, he's not thinking about the guys at his feet. He's just feeling them. He's not thinking about the offense. It's just like second muscle memory, second nature. So all he has to do is worry about throwing and hitting his target. Yeah. The interesting, I, I think the interesting dynamic here, the thing we've kind of danced around in a way is the Bradford, is Bradford from this standpoint, okay? Assume they take Wentz. So, two reference points. You've got the Eagles in 1999 when Doug Peterson is the starting quarterback and Donovan McNabb is the heir apparent. Number one, you had absolutely no aspirations at all of competing for even a division championship or a wild card that year. You have Doug Peterson in as the starter. Donovan McNabb plays a play here, a play there. It gets to nine or ten games into the season. Well, and Doug Peterson, sorry you're not, but... He took the job knowing that his he, job right. was as a placeholder. He, he took the job knowing there's no chance that I'm going to earn myself a three or four year contract hmm. here. Okay. So that when Donovan is, my job is to get Donovan ready. And when Donovan's ready, I'm going to say goodbye. And I'm cool with that. The other possible example is the Packers with Favre when they draft Rodgers, hmm. which is that Favre is, has already won a Super Bowl, is already a three time MVP, is already a Hall of Famer. And is at the point of his career where, hey, look, kid, you can sit and wait for three or four years because I'm 
freaking Brett Favre. Right. And the Packers say, hey, we're great with Brett. No problem here. And so three or four years goes by, and they get three or four more good years out of him, and then finally they're willing to say goodbye, and they trade him or they let him go. And that was always my argument for why it made sense to sign Sam Bradford back then. Right. Because I always said worst comes to worst. Even if one of these guys does fall to you at whatever it was, 14 back then, or 13 back then, uh, you know, even if you do end up getting a Carson Wentz in the middle of the first round and lucking into that— there's no, there's nothing wrong there's with no him urgency. sitting. Yeah. In fact, there's, it, there's less there's urgency. Only been, like the guy, the, the track record of guys who have sat that year or two has been very good. Right. You know? But, but that gets to the issue I have, which is that Bradford, it, Bradford's situation falls smack dab on the continuum, falls smack dab in between Petersons and McNabs and Favs and Rogers. In that, Bradford is trying to get another contract. He's trying to reestablish himself as a starter somewhere. What impetus is there for him to, you know, uh, mentor, so to speak? I mean, what what is the impact on him? I guess is what I'm asking. Well, and that's why it's it's all about. To me, it's this would not be even. I don't even think this would be an issue, and I don't think it was an issue in Sam. I was down there yesterday, uh, and and people asked Sam Bradford, you know, this is yesterday being before the tra- the day before the trade. People asked Sam Bradford, well, we were hearing all these rumors. What do you think about it? And Sam Bradford, as he does to pretty much everything genuinely came across as if he hadn't even contemplated right. it and it really wouldn't be a big deal to him. Like if they, you know, if they haven't drafted a quarterback at number eight, whatever, blah, 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 blah. It's the fact that they're giving, giving up, up three, they're essentially giving up three chances to, to get, get pieces, get, that, get would pieces that would help Sam Bradford. Right. And again, I don't even think it's like Sam Bradford definitely comes across to me as a guy who really, maybe to his detriment, like is not about himself and is like, I just want to be in Philadelphia and I like these guys I'm playing with. I mean, mm-hmm. he said that before Chip Kelly left, he said it after Chip Kelly left, he ended up taking a contract that was, you know, two less than we thought. Um, and again, this gets in the locker room thing, but, but this is, you're taking away the opportunity to add in addition to, to, you know, the opportunity cost of spending that first round, the, the opportunity cost spent via that first round pick on a quarterback. You're kicking into that opportunity cost, three extra chances to come away with an NFL caliber player. Well, I exactly. mean, best case scenario, that's three players, but like maybe it's even one player. It's the right. chance, you know, like it's there's the, a lot of it, churn. It's and, the and chance. And that's going to, that gets to the heart of what we were, what we, I mentioned at the beginning, which is the reverberations in the locker room from this trade. The, the guys in that locker room who played with Sam Bradford last year, like and respect Sam Bradford. And they were willing to say so publicly. And they were basically willing to lobby Eagles management to bring him back. Jason Kelsey, Zach Ertz, Jordan Matthews, regardless of what you think of them as players, they are the centerpieces of the team right now, and they were willing to say, we want this guy back, we need him back, we respect him from rehabbing his injured knee twice, we respect him for the way he played in the second half, he's talented, this is what we want. And now you've taken that dynamic and you've cost that group a chance to improve itself with the guy that they want as a quarterback. Well, yeah, let's look, let's look, exactly like look at it from this perspective. Zach Ertz and Jordan Matthews went out to Oklahoma and stayed with Sam Bradford at his like ranch or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they like they they really like this guy as a quarterback, but they're also like really like this guy as a guy. But, right? Like, they're 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 friend, They're tight. They're like it's like a nucleus. They yep. they view themselves. Like, they don't listen, they don't talk about and think about the stuff that we think about. We're like, oh, Sam Bradford, good enough. Like, they think Sam Bradford is, like, good enough. Like, yeah. they think he's a, they could be a top 10 quarterback, right. you know? So they, you know, the way they talk and the way they've acted, when they heard the news today, 
the only way for them to react, put me putting myself in their shoes, is why would they do that? We have we, Sam. We have Sam. Yeah. Right. Like, why? What, what's the point of this? You know, what, I thought we just signed Sam. Why, why not try to, like, bring in some offensive line help or some defensive help? And that's like a that's a problem. Yeah, that that is potentially a problem. You know, it's it's ironic for all the issues that Chip Kelly seemed to and probably did have in terms of communicating with players and guys not wanting to be there and not understanding where Chip was coming from, bad environment in the locker room and all that stuff. You know, it's possible that Howie Roseman, Chip's nemesis, has just created a similar dynamic yeah, within the locker room. It's just, it, it, it's, and it's fascinating because we we kind of looked at each other when we were both listening to to Howie talk when Howie said something to the effect of, uh, what, what, what Chipism did he use? He said something about... I forget what it was. Oh, I um, no, I don't remember. But it was something. Um, oh, whatever. We'll, we'll just cut this part out. But uh, I, have, I have a theory about Roseman that I've been kicking around in my mind, and I, 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 the number one thing that surprised me when I saw the news was not just that it happened, but that it happened eight days before the draft, which leads me to wonder. What are the Browns thinking that they were willing to make this deal now? Well, all right. So this is a great. Uh, this is a, a another interesting way to look at this thing. Um, whatever guy, whatever whatever guy they end up drafting to play quarterback, the most important position. You know, the teams place more value on this. They're going to be drafting a guy that not one but two different NFL teams decided was not the best quarterback in this draft, or at least was not a franchise quarterback. Um, you know, well, the, the Ra- well, listen, because the Rams will be taking right, and the, the other guy, right, and the Brand- Browns will have decided that we don't like this. We don't think this guy is that. He's good not good enough for right. us to hold on to the pick. exactly. Right. So somebody's going to be wrong, and it's just interesting when you think. And it's about- easy. To, it's easy to say that the Rams and the Browns will be wrong because they've generally always been right. wrong. Now I would put my money on the Rams first and foremost. <laughs> I would too. Yeah, but but that doesn't you know. Like Paul, put it this way: If I'm a who wants to be a millionaire, and I've got a lifeline like phone a friend, I'm calling Paul. I'm calling Paul De Podesta or Howie Roseman. You know, like, like I don't want to get into a like. If you're telling me like there's a battle of the wits right now between Paul De Podesta, who's the new Paul De Podesta, is the Billy Bean acolyte who was you would you may have seen him in Moneyball. he, well, you know, actually, know him from the. I, I've I've talked to him and know him a little bit. Yeah, he, the he's Jonah a very Hill, bright guy. He is. He's very smart. The Jonah Hill character in the movie Moneyball is based on him, um, and he is now in charge of things with the Cleveland Browns. He's made this jump from Major League Baseball. He had just been with the Mets and is now running the show in Cleveland, trying to bring a more analytical approach. And in that sense, it's not surprising that the Browns would make that move because now you have more picks, you have more shots to get good players and more. But, you know, potential lottery not, winning tickets. I'm not sure in Cleveland they're going to object to this move all that much, except wondering whether, I mean, they got a pretty darn big ransom as is. They might have gotten the biggest ransom, certainly out of the Eagles that they were going to get, which then leads me to wonder, and this is absolutely a criticism of Howie Roseman of what I'm about to say. In doing this trade, you kept this pick out of the hands of the Dallas Cowboys and Chip Kelly's 49ers in particular with the Cowboys and the possibility that Wentz might have been Tony Romo's successor. Does that at all, and I'm not saying it should because, again, I'm phrasing this as a criticism of Howie, does that factor into your thinking about wanting to get this deal done as fast as possible? 
Um, I, I think deals just get done. You yeah. know, I mean, it's like, it's like anything. Like, uh, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know. Maybe they, I don't know. The question is, I don't. I mean, the answer is, I don't know. Put it this way: if the Eagles won it once, they were going to. You they know, were going to do what they bad, needed to they do. They were going to do what they needed to do, and and at some point, there's no use in either side. Either side, at some point, says we like this deal, we like this deal enough that we would all want to lose this deal. Right. So let's get it done now. Right. So I don't, I don't think the timing necessarily. Right, but Murph's point is a good one, which is that, you know, you, you had part of the reason you had better be right is that you are setting yourselves up as the Eagles and Howie and Doug being smarter than. Everybody else again, not to not to belabor the Hinky point, but the thing that people missed about Hinky's strategy for all was that everybody called him arrogant, and the fact of the matter was the strategy was rooted in him acknowledging we're going to get some picks wrong, so let's get as many chances, mm. as many bites at the apple as possible, so that even if we get a bunch wrong, we'll still get a bunch right. The Eagles again are doing the opposite; they are going all in, saying. It doesn't matter that the Rams didn't want this guy. It doesn't matter that the Browns didn't want this guy. We know better than them. We're going to get him, and we're going to be smarter and proven right. No, so I just remember what Howie Roseman said that we both looked at each other. He said, you have to take some risks to be great. Yes. And yes. it was exactly what... Uh, That's going to be Ch- in the Jeffrey show Lur- intro It was exactly week. what Jeffrey Lurie said after last year after you know Chip Kelly did his whole thing. Like To me, I, I'll be honest with you. I think this trade is crazier than any of the trades that Chip Kelly did. You know, I think you're taking way more risk on. And it might not appear that way on the surface, but you were, you know, in LaShawn McCoy and even cutting Deshaun Jackson, you were getting rid of two very high-risk commodities. Yes, and, yes. and frankly, Nick Foles, too. Because in each in their own way, I think LaShawn McCoy put, uh, posed a very big health risk. And I think we began to see that, mm-hmm. even though people want to discount it and pretend he would have, the magic water in Philly would have kept him healthy, healthy. for all 16 games last year. Uh, and Nick Foles, again, we, we saw that as well. And and Deshaun Jackson, frankly, there, there was still talk that Red, the Redskins, you know, might cut him after the, this season. You know, I mean, look, the Redskins are, are, are a, an interesting thing to consider because... They did this. Well, they did this, and, and then one could argue, well, they still made the playoffs last year, even though this thing blew up in their face. So, so people could say, well, the Redskins traded all these guys, and their guy was a bust, worst-case scenario, and look... Like they're not worse for the wear. They're right. right where the Eagles were last year. And, and put it this way, I don't think the Redskins are all that close to being a Super Bowl contender. I just nope. think that they played in a bad division last year and got lucky with a, you know, I don't know that Kirk Cousins will ever like that's fool's gold to me. And they hired yeah. a half decent coach and a half decent general manager, neither of which they'd had previously. Right, but I'm saying that the the clearly the parting with all those picks did not. Oh yeah. And none of those picks really ended up coming to fruition or coming to right. you know right. maturity with the Rams. So that's the one argument to say that like you have to you have to be really really bad to be really really bad in the NFL. I just I I think about yeah go ahead. I think about something that we discussed in the context of um, the NBA a couple weeks ago, and and general and maybe we can wrap it up on this. General managers who do not act in an optimal way, or teams that do not act in an optimal, rational, calculating, straightforward way, and Certainly Washington didn't all those years after they drafted Griffin and made cruise ships worth of money off of selling jerseys with his name on the back. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the Eagles are going to do that with Carson Wentz. But I, I just, and, and 
Again, I'm the guy who sits on the couch on Sunday. I'm not the guy who covers games. But when I walked into work this morning and I saw the stories about the Eagles being a likely suitor uh, for this deal, and then in two hours that snowballs into the deal happening, plus all of the free agent moves that Howie Rosen made, I just I smell playing to the gallery here a little bit more than I think feels right for what an NFL team should be doing. Look, I, but a, a person who is a cynic with regards to Howie Roseman would could also say he's essentially bought himself a job for three years yep. because you're not going to be able to you're not going to be able to. That's a great. That's a great point. Yeah, and I. <laughs> I don't. I wouldn't think that anybody. But it's almost like I wouldn't. Think it's like hard, really hard for me to like wrap my head around this deal in any other way besides that. Because, like, look, like Albert Beer just just tweeted this after after Philly signs the second pick, it'll have about forty million dollars in cash invested in quarterbacks for 2016, uh, ten million more than the next closest team. Not only that, but when you include the second round pick that they traded last year for Bradford, they'll have two first round picks, two second round picks. And two third-round picks <laughs> invested in the position, and yeah. I just honestly, just from a volume standpoint, and a opportunity cost standpoint, and a economic, you know, economic scarcity standpoint, I don't understand how you build a football team when I, you have I, that I much of your resources devoted to the the, the two ways you're going to fill the other positions are through money and. And when you have that much devoted to want to that position, I don't know how you address those other positions. You have to get very, very lucky in the draft. And I used this example in, in our uh, Recycle Bin podcast <laughs> earlier today, um, but it, it still holds. When the Giants in 2004 made the big trade up to move up from number four to number one uh, to get Eli Manning, they gave up a whole bunch of draft picks. And the following year, in 2005, they had all of four picks in the entire draft. Now, they used those first three picks and got Corey Webster, a very solid defensive back who played with them for a number of years, Justin Tuck, an elite pass rusher who helped them win two Super Bowls, and um, Brandon Jacobs, who was a service, solid serviceable running back for a while, a guy part of a committee. Ernie Corsi, who was the GM at the time, told me he was proudest of that draft. But good luck if you're yeah. you know, one of the 32 general managers in the NFL replicating that and that's similar to the position that the Eagles have put themselves in now is you have cut down on the number of chances you have to get players through the draft who can help you immediately and in the long term and Howie Roseman nobody would argue that Howie Roseman is the track record of Ernie Accorsi the Marcus Smith certainly wouldn't argue the Giants are a fascinating thing I know we're gonna wrap it up but but just to, to piggyback on that real quick the, the Giants are interesting because l l let me throw this at you, this hypothetical. Mm -hmm. Let's say Mario Manningham does not keep his foot in bounds and David Tyree does not catch the ball. Catch the ball. If, in other words, the Giants do not win two Super Bowls. If those two things do not happen and Carson Wentz ends up with Eli Manning's career minus those two things, are you, are you, is, are you satisfied? Whew. Dear God, our sanities. <laughs> <laughs> That's, no, but I mean that—that's that, like the thing. It's—it's it's the very interesting thing about the Giants in general, and like it's—it's it's very interesting thing about the legacies of Coffin, Acorsi, and Manning. Right, the Giants in general, because they failed at all the they're, they're every other except for those two yeah. years. They yeah. failed every other. I would say yes, and, okay. and I would say yes because Eli has been there, has started every single game yep. since he became I would, their starter, and so if he gets them to those Super Bowls and they lose to the nineteen and zero Patriots and lose to the Patriots again in close games. Yeah, he's going to take some criticism for not being able to win the big one, quote-unquote. But you combine that with the career he had, and 
at its height, I would say yes, it would have been worth and it. And I would agree. But the point is, when you're talking about the quarterback position, you can talk about how much, right. you know, all this stuff. But the fact of the matter is, a no-armed quarterback who couldn't throw the football won the Super Bowl last year. Yeah. Uh, Russell Wilson had the best defense, one of the best defenses in league history when he won the Super Bowl. So I still don't know what we, in a vacuum, what Russell Wilson is. But the fact is, this Giants team that everyone holds up as, as you know, it, it takes a lot of talent or a lot of luck around the quarterback you know, like, look at Philip yeah. Rivers. I think yep. Philip Rivers is every bit the quarterback that, that Eli Manning yes. is. I just think that they went to two different situations. Yes. And I think that that right there is, that's, like, the interesting thing to me. And, again, luck. Like, they're yep. no closer to a Super you know, they're no closer to the Super Bowl yeah. right now than they were his first that's year, right. I don't think. You that's know? Right. And it, so it's just, man, like, it's, it's, you better. And it, Does anybody trust him? Who? The Eagles. I mean. I don't. I Look, I don't think they get the I don't think they get the benefit of the doubt here. No, I mean clearly I don't give no. them the benefit of the doubt. I just think even if they did this put it this way, this would be a very tough build now for even the most experienced yes. of general managers. And now you're asking a guy who has not had much success building through the draft to do it with, you know, thirty three percent less picks, yep. like seventy five percent less picks in the first, you know, four you know, four rounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 going to be fun to talk it's about. Be, yeah, it's, I mean, put it this way: it definitely will be good for ratings for not in the Philly sports talk show. So, so, and, and frankly, it'll be fascinating to write about. I just, not I really in a good hope. Way, Sam, though. I really hope Sam Bradford knows what he's in store for. Oh, yeah, that's I mean, that's the thing. That's the thing because this is going to come up and come up and come up and come up, and it's not going to stop. It's not going to stop. Yeah, he's going to throw. He's going to throw an interception that deflects off Jordan Matthews' hands on, in the season opener, just like it did last year. And people are going to say the Browns. Yeah, by the way, he's not a winner. And here we go. It's and it's not start. just Bradford. It's, it's the teammates too, because yeah. that enters your. You know, like it enters your head. You yep. know what? What? Again, we talked about McNabb and his, his reaction to the cop trade, and it wasn't just the fact that he you know, felt threatened by Cobb. It was like, dude, why are you spending a yep. second round pick? You guys haven't given me a wide receiver my entire career. Right. Why are you spending a second round pick on a quarterback? This guy's going to be just as bad as I was if you give him the talent I had around me. Yep. You know, like that's, it's interesting. And yeah. I, yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta sleep on this a little yeah. bit. I'm just, let's, let's I wish that. I could, but I got to go cover a hockey game. So, <laughs> oh, is that still, do they, yeah, they, you know, I thought they might cancel it out of fan <sighs> indifference after the trade, but they're not doing that. I legitimately, I mean, now that you remind me of it, I remember that the Flyers are playing tonight, but I legitimately did not even think once about that team. <laughs> All right. You covered the last game, though. I realized that. But that was that's your second how, hockey that is, game of your life? That is how little I've even thought about that today. All right. You know? All right enjoy, Mike, what might be the last hockey game of the season. I, I certainly hope so. I need a break. Right. Nothing yeah. against the Flyers, but I need a break. All right. That, that, that is it. We'll talk to you next week.